Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by the wonderful Paul Briganti, who is the director of Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. And, and starting off, you came on board as a director for this project very early on. It sounds like the script was still in its first draft in terms of iterations and, and drafts and versions of it. Um, and I was just interested in how that really helped you to visualize how you wanted to direct this film and how you envisioned taking on that task being involved so early. Yeah, it was really great to be, I mean, they they'd written like a full script and, and then the script is kind of what got them, um, you know, into Judd Apatow's orbit and Universal's orbit. And then they, they, you know, they were kind of like moving with it a little bit. And, and it was really funny when I read it and I, I, they came to SNL and then I started working with them for maybe like two or three months and they mentioned this project and if I wanted to read it and, and, and it was so funny. The script is so funny and it had like such good jokes. And it was like, uh, you know, it was like, it, it was a little bit more about the treasure and kind of, I think the whole thing maybe was on the mountain and it was a little bit more um, about like them losing their minds. Like, like it was kind of like Castaway or something like comedy. It was really, it was very funny. Like them like just, and there's a lot of that stuff in the movie too. Like when they kind of like turn on each other and everything, but um it was really helpful to be involved, you know, earlier on. And also the, so much of it is like the, the attitude of everyone involved and like how much they um, are tied to things that are in there, you know, especially dealing with writer performers, you, you know, sometimes it's delicate and there's a lot of, a lot of things attached here or like egos or something, but there was just like none of that at all. Like from, from the start of working with them, they were always, they're always just like, how how do we make this the, the you know funniest most interesting best thing and that's like the, you know that's what wins you know it's never like anyone wanting to to be better or any of that stuff and then Judd was very much like you know his working style is very um <clears throat> very just like he works a lot he's very he's like very deep with it he just gets really involved and really like available and so I was it was just great we just like we felt like we was like all hands on deck just like just trying to make this movie feel like really big in scope and really have the friendship stuff hitting and the like, you know, thematic stuff kind of hitting too and be super funny. So it was very, very collaborative. And, and you know, in terms of shooting, in terms of like the look of it, I was really excited to, to do something that was, you know, in nature, but like, I really didn't want it to feel or look like, you know, sticks, you know, I didn't want it to look like uh, dirt, or, you know like so many times when you're in the woods or you're shooting in the woods like it just like sticks and there's no depth and there's no beauty or anything and and I, I really um you know it was, it was very important for me that the movie when it's kind of showing these like gorgeous areas it, it really leans into it and it looks really pretty and, and you kind of get the promise of this like you know the the rivers and the the people hiking and the like pretty light and everything was really felt very like a big part of it as well and I love how much the the core of the story is so much about this friendship between these three guys. And it's like they succeed the most when they work together and when they're cohesive yeah. in their relationships. And then yeah. when their relationships splinter, that's when they hit more obstacles. And I was just interested in how you kind of found a lot of the pacing of, okay, where do we want it to feel more cohesive? Where do we want to break it apart a little bit? Because that's about the pacing of filming scenes, but also a lot of the editing as well, I imagine. Yeah, there's like something really powerful about them when especially when they're together you know like there's I mean so many movies is like you know you 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 want to it's like oh you want to feel happy when they're together and when they make up but like there's a real like um 
kind of thing you can't explain, like an ease and feeling of like comfort when they're together. And they just have this kind of weird, just random cosmic chemistry and then kind of understanding of each other. And they're kind of uh, in the movie, they're like, you know, that's the whole thing. It's like they're best when they're together. And when they're not, they're kind of turned into like psychopaths or something. And like, you know, they get sucked into these like insane situations that like are really heightened versions of real things that people would get sucked into. Like if you don't have your friends and your support system, your kind of toxic father figure is going to take hold of you and kind of, you know, uh, start using you for his own, his own, you know, will or the whims that he wants. So it was, it was really, um, it was an important thing to like, you know, go into that. And, and also um, the big part of it too, was like the age they are, like that was something I was excited about, like kind of diving into the whole thing of like, what it means to have friends at, uh, at their, like in your twenties or your early twenties and, and, you know, how you, you have so much ambitions when you're that age, but you also kind of are so stupid still, you're still like kind of a child, um, but your friends are starting to like have kids or like, you know, people are having, doing adult things, you know, so you're starting to freak out and what that means for you. And, and, you know, some people rush into things that are wrong. So it was really important for all, for all the characters to, you know, be struggling when they're alone and then, and then good and have this kind of flow and ease when they're together like that was really important and and you were bringing up there that obviously you're creating a lot of heightened situations but you still have to make sure that they don't feel unfathomable at least in the world of the movie so it's like you know would it be random to walk through the woods and discover a random cult that could actually happen to someone at the same time like we're probably not going to encounter a hawk that we have that dynamic with but it yeah. feels viable within the world of the <laughs> film so how did you make how did you find the different ways to kind of stretch into the heightened elements but in a way that always works within the confines of the film yeah i think it's it's like i've learned that you can really do anything if you show that if you if you if you kind of make it make sense, yeah, like within the world, or if people really care about something, then like they don't really care about like how something was figured out. So, you know, it's really important to me. We always talked about the movie like starting like you know on a on a, a grounded level. Like obviously it starts high end or roller skating or whatever, but it's like okay, they're friends, and so then they they you go and it gets a little more high end where. You know, uh, Martin's getting baptized. It's kind of silly. It's a little more high end where Ben is, you know, we, we go into John's like emotional flashback. Like the whole thing, every scene by design, we wanted to just be one notch higher until you're watching this movie at the end and these guys are flying through the sky and, you know, Gabe Matarazzo is getting murdered. And like, there's so many things that, that if you didn't kind of set them up, like we always... I, I always thought it was really important that everything has an anchor into the ground, no matter how high it is. So, you know, for the most part, I think we did a pretty good job. I think there's like some things that are pretty like debatable, you know, we're just like fully indulgent doesn't fucking matter. But like, um, you know, there's, there's like a, a, a large amount of the absurd things like the, the wing seating stuff. I feel really proud of because it's like kind of tied to this thing that they do that that it represents John's dependence on them and they're really skilled at wingsuiting and then you're like okay I could kind of buy how like he would do this thing and then that would lead to that thing so we always wanted it to feel like you never you could never we always wanted to feel like you could point to something and be like oh yeah that that was set up 
so that you feel like at ease and you feel like taken care of and you can kind of trust it a little bit more. And the film follows the three of them kind of in in their present day, but we also get scenes that take us back to their childhood and even just seeing the genesis of when they first became friends and when they first kind of found this compass that leads them to the treasure. Um, How did you feel that those scenes really gave a lot more texture to the present day and and how did you want to make sure that you utilized them in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think like, I feel like the word like stakes gets thrown around in such a way that people hate that, especially when you make a comedy movie, like, like emotional stakes and stuff like people, it's kind of become a cool thing to just just be like, it doesn't matter. Um, And I fully don't agree with that. I think it's like, you just have to make, you have to have emotional stakes because people need to care for this movie and this relationship, but like, you just need to make it really good and really funny. And so that's the challenge with that part is like, you're going into this backstory, you're going, basically what we need to say here is um, this this person needs these two guys. And if he doesn't have them, he will be confronted with this like feeling of shame and feeling of like this ugly, lonely feeling that like, you know, comes back to this very hilariously traumatic moment in his life. And so, you know, you're just like, the, the challenge is, making something that is really fun and entertaining to explain why he needs these friends. Um, that's also kind of emotional. And like, that was, that was something that, was, that I really love in the movie that I, like, I, I feel like works pretty well is like, you have this insane experience where his dick is on fire or whatever. And it's like, and then you know, this teacher gets arrested and stuff. And then like, that kind of opens you up because you're laughing and you're like, Oh, this is really funny and silly. And then, and then you're kind of not expecting this kind of like sweet moment of like these boyhood friendships. And then, so he kind of like, you know, it opens you up a lot and then kind of like, like kind of punches you with this like sweet moment that we were, we were all really excited about when we were figuring it out. And it's, that's all it is. just like kind of a balance of making something emotionally effective, but making it really funny at the same time. And that scene also really highlights something that's so key in comedy where it's not just about landing the singular aspect of a joke, but it's like, how do we continue to build on the foundation that we've created? So it starts out, okay, this kid's doing a magic trick with fire and his pants are undone. Now he's on fire. Now a teacher's trying to help him and it's just getting worse and worse. Um, And so as you would be shooting scenes throughout the movie, how did you always kind of like have that lens in your head of here's the joke, but like, what's the add on going to be at the next step to this? Yeah, it's a, that's that's really interesting. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, when you're shooting it, you are kind of just like, you're just like, um, I want to get, need to, we need to get as many options that that in case this, this you know, joke doesn't land or this moment doesn't land or this look doesn't land. So, and then it's kind of when you're editing is when you're kind of crafting it and like making it build. And like, um, that that is something that like there, that happens in the movie. If you, someone was talking about that recently, but like, there's a lot of jokes and like bits in the movie that like the first beat of it, like an example was like the scene where Bowen, they first meet Bowen and he's in the cult and, and the whole joke is that he doesn't, um, he can't see them. So he just assumes they're like these different, the first thing he says, like, you, why are you like girls, gorgeous women here? And they're like, Oh, we're not guys. We're not women. We're guys. And then he keeps getting their, their race and the number of them wrong. And, it, and, and every time when we screen that or whatever, like, people kind of laugh at the first beat because it's like kind of funny. And then the second one, they they like, oh, that's funny. And then the third one, you kind of just have to like, because the third time you do something in comedy or like a scene like that, people are expecting 
a version of that thing. So you just have to do like the perfect version, which is, which is, which kind of throws them a little bit, but also fits the joke as well, which is just like, you know, and storytelling too. So that's why I like, we worked really hard to figure out that, uh, the, the backstory thing and why I think the teacher thing is works so well. Cause you're kind of expecting this like new disaster physically to happen to the kid, but then like, it takes this weird turn into this like kind of odd moment that like, why do we care about this guy, this teacher? So it's like surprising, but it still kind of is in the lane of what you're doing. Um, so that was like a big learning experience of like how to do that. And like, <clears throat> got me excited for those, those moments of surprise. And and when we meet Bo and Yang's character as well, because you've got that visual gag of, you know, he can't see out of it. You obviously had to construct a, a kind of giant head for him to be inside of as yeah. a cult leader. Whereas the audience is immediately like, well, of course he can't see them. Of course he can't hear properly. Um, yeah. And so how did you land upon the design for that? That was a, a local artist that our art department found in Charlotte. <clears throat> this woman who, I think she just <laughs> makes big heads. It's like her market thing and like and she does it really well and she was like uh it was kind of cool to kind of like source a local um artist who was kind of cool and like had posted these 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 things and I think they just found her through Instagram or something um and yeah we like tested them and tried them out and and you know you have to make it obviously possible for them to see through so that it's safe but you also want to give it a little bit of an obstruction so that the performance is true and he's not like He's not like forcing it at all. So it was a perfect balance. And Bone was really like, it was really hot in there too, obviously, because it was so hot in Charlotte. But um, yeah, it was, it, was a it was a balancing act with that, with that joke for sure. One one of the other visual aspects I wanted to ask about was, was going back to the baptism scene that you were talking about, because I love the fact that you have Martin in this just like massively oversized yellow suit and even just the fabric of it, because it's his yeah. girlfriend's grandfather's suit. So it's not like a modern kind of breathable material either. So how did you, how did you figure out what's going to be the most amusing version of the suit that we could put him in for the scene? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I it was really important that it, it's like very loud and visual, but just doesn't feel like silly. Like feel like you said, like it feels like it could be real. So it's just like this kind of like bigger, large, big and tall man, like suit and like old seventies, like material. And they, I think that was like sourced really specifically from our costume designer, Emily, who's great. And she, she, um, she like sourced anyway. And I think that one of them, maybe the one in the diner was like, like very specifically sourced and it didn't show up until like the day before we were shooting it or something. And I think that's what makes it so funny is it looks so like iconically like a grandpa's suit <laughs> that he would wear at some like Italian wedding or something in 1978. And and you were talking before earlier about some of the, the wingsuit scenes in the film, which kind of like starts as a thing because they have a wind machine in the store that they all work in. And then that yeah. they take them with them into the woods. And so there's multiple kind of moments and scenes with that. And I was just interested in the logistical elements that went into filming some of those scenes. Like when you've got one of the characters suddenly kind of like lifting up or you're shooting the three of them all together yeah. where it needs to be like a little bit more kind of like higher effects towards the end. Yeah. It was interesting because they were all shot with different kind of philosophies, really. Like um, the first one with John and the thing is, you know, you have like a double doing because <clears throat> you want him to do like some 
some hot dogging a little bit to kind of get the idea that like, oh, he, he knows what he's doing with his body in this week's suit machine. And then um, the second one was probably the craziest one where Ben is is in a wingsuit and he's just like flying all over the place. And the joke is that he basically becomes a human kite, um, which is like the most, it was the most elaborate work for like a joke that's really funny, but like it was still like an insane amount of, of logistics and and um, physical stress. So, so that was the most crazy because um, we shot that on like a, a, a rock slab sort of thing. And we, you know, I've always, I've always thought that visual effects works best when you combine real elements with with fake elements so so the the trees behind him were real trees that were in this like field that we found and then the 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 view behind martin and john is all blue screen so you know you kind of do 50 50 and then ben's really in the air when we were we like suspended him like 30 feet in the air or it's 100 degrees in Charlotte. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. It's so hot. He's getting blown with the, the biggest fans I've ever seen in my life. And um, and yeah, it was just insane. It was just like really physically difficult for him and for the stunt people. And then the last one was just like full Marvel, like blue screen environment, like on these, you know, rigs. And, and I think that one was like the most surprisingly difficult for me where, you know, there was a lot, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of like balancing and weighing and like, it took a lot of time to get them up and down. So there were, and there were, there were also giant, giant fans blowing at him, at the guy. So we would, instead of giving them direction, like we had like cue cards of all the different lines and stuff to say that like their friend Brady just like held up like that for them to say. So we didn't have to like turn the fans down, talk to them, do that. So we could get it all done in one. Uh, so and- and and going back to the idea that you know they they work the best and they succeed the most when they work in harmony there's a scene where it's like literally it's about being in harmony musically with one another and yeah. i think that that moment kind of goes back to what you were saying where it's about landing the comedy but also kind of like having it feel very heartfelt because it is very sweet to watch them being very cohesive in that moment so how did you all determine like what musically is going to be the right thing that we're going to have them sing and perform together that's going to hit those beats yeah, that was interesting. I'd say like that's probably the the main moment of the movie where like there's no logic or ties to anything at all. Like it's they automatically can sing and harmonize, and um, then this bear creature comes out the, out of nowhere. So like that was that's like the one section of the movie where we're just like, yeah, we don't care. This is just like bananas and silly, and 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 I think it works. It's like this weird turn that people don't see coming, and that whole thing came out from you know, we were trying to, we, we had, we had, we had the scene where they get the treasure and we, we read it at a table read and, you know, it was so obvious. So, so many times when you're like writing a thing, you don't think about it. And then when you read it out loud, you're like, oh my God, this is so obviously stupid. So, so there was, there was, the problem was they just kind of go and get the treasure. And it was like, there was no obstacle in the way of them getting it. And someone was like, that's bad to just do that. Like someone gave us notes. And we were like, totally it makes total sense. So we were figuring out you know, what's an obstacle that they can do? What's the thing that can get in the way that'd be really fun? And we thought of this one thing that was like, they had to do, it was kind of like from Goonies. It's like, they have to hit the notes or whatever. And it was a scene that kind of, um, it was like a parody of a scene like that. And that was it. And then they get the treasure and we like read it for Judd. And he was like, he was like, um, he was like, so many people have tried to do 
a scene where they like <clears throat> parody Goonies or Indiana Jones. Or He's like, unless it's like the best version of that, don't try to do that. Try to do something different. And and it was like the moment where we were just kind of sitting around and then John, <clears throat> I think it was John, he was like, what if we do this whole thing that you think is like a Goonies thing? And then it just like becomes this like horrible hairless bear creature is there. And it's just so absurd. It kind of pulls a rug out from under it. And then we kind of followed that. And <clears throat> the thing with the song was like, oh, we have to make this the most like kind of regal, pretty, like big, kind of fantastical moment to kind of build up this thing that the bear is going to tear down. So I think that's where it came from of them like, oh, they sing really good. If they're in harmony, it becomes this like kind of hyper real moment that you can fully undercut it by this like disgusting <laughs> bear situation and then obviously as well as having the the friendship between the three guys you also have these great two-hander scenes with x mayo and uh, meg stalter with yeah, their two characters as well and i kind of love that because we see so much with the guys relationship and their history that when we see that similar dynamic between the two women it's like we just kind of like immediately have a sense sensibility of like what their friendship is so quickly um and yeah. so how did you kind of work to really build in that that sense of like layered history when you have to feel it from like the first time we see them on screen together it was interesting it was <clears throat> it all came from this idea of like codependency and and codependent and it came from you know the boys conflict which is you know john is very codependent and they feel pressure on him so so you know for for john to kind of connect with someone it needs to be someone who's in a you know similarly you know bad situation where they're they're not really getting the most out of this relationship you know like we we thought it'd be interesting if meg was sort of in a relationship like that but she's on the other side where she's the trapped one you know and john was the one who was trapping his friends so from that it did it kind of created this dynamic that was that was really nice and and showed that you know ex Maya who's so funny you know had this kind of kind of thing where she like needs Meg she's like sort of her sidekick in her mind and like Meg's just sort of like happy go lucky like happy to be part of it but then you know as this this thing happens where her and John connect she's realizing that like you know maybe it's not it's getting in the way of her growth a little bit. And so it was nice. It was really nice to like leave that in and out. And I feel like those, that's why I think that relationship feels like, um, you know, sweet and special because it's specific to their, to, to the main issue of the movie. Yeah. And I've heard you say that with, with directing this film, that one of the biggest challenges was just the number of balls that you have to kind of keep in the air at any given time. And, and also the fact that it's not even just everything that you're doing for yourself as a director. It's also, you know, for the guys, it's like you're making sure that you're creating the best and most conducive creative space for them to do their best work as well. Um, yeah. And so how did you kind of like plow into navigating that as a first time feature filmmaker? So much of it is just protecting people from from things you know a lot of it is just like swatting away distractions and and you know especially with with <clears throat> first time movie feature actors you know and, and their writers as well and their producers on the movie you you need them to perform and you need them to have a clear head and you need them to have fun and show up and and put that on important so a lot of it is just you know me and the producers looping them out of things that they don't need to worry about because they will worry about it if they hear about it and and just things that are just logistics or like dealing with like a thing like something i i just i just 
it was very important for me to like protect them from from anything that distracted them, you know? Um, it was like so important for them. Similar to how Judd probably did that with me like a million times. I'm sure there's so many things that he had to deal with that I didn't even know about so that he could get the best out of me. So a lot of it was that and then, you know, making sure they're, um, it's tricky when they're writers on the movie and they're performers because they're also, you know, stressing out about scenes that they're not in. But then when they're not in scenes, they should be resting and learn. So it's, they, you know, they were really, uh, it was at both ends for, for all of them. Um, but it was just taking care of them, making sure they got rest and, and were still feeling inspired. And, and with the fact that, that your experience in directing also includes doing digital shorts for SNL, yeah. it's, it's such a great space because it's like, uh, there's often conversation about like, you can't be too precious about things because you're moving in such a fast schedule and such a fast yeah. pace, which then obviously carrying that over that idea over to a feature film. Did you feel like that gave you certain, certain tools and certain skills to kind of go, okay, I have, I have a real sense even with a feature for the first time of like, here's where I want to spend a little bit more time on this thing. And here's where like, you know, we've got it. I know it's landing. Like I have that gut instinct, the comedy's fitting exactly what we need, we need for the scene. So like we can move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like a, a very, something you learn at SNL is yeah. To, to really, to, to work really hard and obsess over something that, that needs to be obsessed over and to not obsess over something that doesn't. And, you know, a lot of it with the movie was, you know, I, 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 I definitely did that a lot and I had to, cause you always have to, but, but a lot of times it came from a place of, of, feeling good about something because either it was like, I had a thing in my office. I had like note cards, I had like three columns and it was like, um, it was like things that I'm really concerned about, like in the script, things that I'm feeling okay about and then things I'm feeling good about. And so I would like kind of move them around as we were writing and, and prepping and everything. And, and yeah, the trick is like when you feel good about something to trust that you feel good about it. Or if you have someone like, say there was, you know, um, like a scene that like Martin or Ben or John, one of them is like really obsessed with and they're obsessing about it. So I'm like, okay, if you're obsessing, about it, I'm not going to waste my time <laughs> and obsess about this because you're going to figure it out because you're smart and like, you'll crack something great. So, and I did the same thing. Like there were, there were parts in the movie that like the guys didn't, weren't as focused on and obsessed about and, and stressed about. And I was really stressed about that stuff and really needed to feel like it made it work. So we all kind of like, had our little like little worlds of of anxiety and, and obsession um yeah it's a really hard thing to learn that and it's, it's it takes a lot of time and a lot of it is like also um editing like i i started as an editor and i really uh you know that's what i love to do and i and i i think that's a big part of of knowing what will matter and what won't matter you know like if you're shooting like a wide shot of something um doesn't need to be perfect, you know, compared to like looking at the schedule of, of or if it's a wide shot that's really important that has like a really interesting, strong visual moment in it and get that, but don't get like the whole, you know? So I, I really, I've, I really work hard to know what is important to like, and to not care about what's not. <laughs> that makes sense. I love that. Well, you, you've done such a great job in directing this film. So congratulations on everything. And thank you so much, Paul. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was great talking to you.